Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. This week's Torah portion is Naso. Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anshamit Synagogue in Chicago talked with author Jonathan Eig about Count Me In and Count Me Out, the challenges of a census. How have you been doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, uh, everybody's healthy and that's all I can really ask for. Uh, if we're all going a little crazy, we'll just have to ride it out, but we're all, we're all doing really well. Yeah, well, we're recording this during uh, the shelter-in-place order. I hope that when people hear this, they will be at least a little bit more out and about. So let's hope for that. I miss seeing you when we record these. Yes. I miss your, seeing your face and, and looking in, you know, t- talking to somebody on the uh, on the phone or as we're getting used to even on the Zoom is just not the same as seeing somebody in person. I know, but you get to wear sweats. <laughs> yeah, I got a new pair of sweats. It's like the greatest thing I've ever, I've ever bought. Yeah, right, I'm right. so excited. So now you, now you have three wardrobes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this week we're talking about the portion of Naso. And Naso is continuing the theme of the Book of Numbers, which was so named because of its focus on statistics and the command to take a census. The children of Israel are standing on the precipice of the promised land, and they need to take a census of the fighting personnel, see how many people they have who can fight. And so that's the original census. This particular census is going to be more focused on the priesthood in the in this portion. But I think what is of interest to us is this whole idea of what is a census and what does it mean in this country, the United States, is also, at least in theory, in the midst of a census as well. So any thoughts? Well, it, it reminds me a little bit of what we said a moment ago about um, seeing each other and not seeing each other. You know, you and I are um, about a mile apart right now, but we can't uh, we, we can't see one another. And um, I guess the census is supposed to count people, but how much does it actually see of their lives? Um, you know, I've, I do a lot of research with, with old censuses and you can see a lot from someone's life and the little details that, that end up on the line. But then you start thinking, how much do you really know? You know, it lists their occupation. It lists the family's size. It tells you who's living in the household. It tells you their address and you can glean a lot from that, but it's never enough. It's tantamount. Why don't you give an you know? example? Um, oh, yeah, I'll give you a great example. So, uh, you know, I'm working on a, a biography of Martin Luther King. And um, for a long time, his family wasn't counted at all because they were slaves. They were just listed as property. So the census would tell you how many uh, plows the family owned, how many mules the family owned, and how many slaves the family owned. And if you were lucky, they might tell you how many were adults and how many were children and how many were men and how many were women. But his ancestors were not important enough to be named in the census. And then when King is born, even then, it's really interesting because they, they don't get the family's name right. It's almost as if the African-Americans didn't matter enough for them to really bother even spelling the family's names right. So the first time that Martin Luther King Jr. appears in the census is 1930 when he's one year old, but he's listed as Marvin King. So, And King himself said later that part of the history of America is seems to be concerned with diminishing the importance of black people to sending them the message that they don't really matter. And and the way the census recorded or, or didn't bother to record them is a, is a real sign of that. You began with talking about the census that would take into account how many mules a household had. And I couldn't help but think that 
there was very little difference in many people's minds between the mule and the African American and, and how they, and, and they were just basically different forms of domestic animals. Yeah, they were there for the benefit of the white owners and they were, they could be sold, they could be killed with no repercussions. So absolutely. So the Torah in a sense is dealing with some of the same issues. We have to remember that it's only been two years since the people of Israel have left Egypt. So in Egypt, the Israelites were seen in much the same light as people of color were before the Civil War. And as you said, even after the Civil War, they were seen as just labor, means to an end. And so one can only begin to think about how an Israelite might react to a census having just come out of slavery. And the terminology that the Torah uses for counting is really interesting. In, my, in Hebrew, l'saper is to count. Mispar in Hebrew is a number. But the Hebrew is very different. It says naso et rosh, which means to lift up the head. I don't know if you remember in elementary school or in nursery school when you used to play like duck, duck, goose, and people would put their head down while they tapped you on the top of the head to count you. This is a very different. Naso et rosh means to count a person by lifting up their head, which must mean that you count somebody when you see their face. I think it's a really interesting idea. Yeah, it suggests that um, lifting up someone's head is a way of giving them respect. You know, look up, be counted, stand up, and be a part of our community. Uh, if that counting really encourages you to look up and not keep your head down and be and be treated like property, it it sends an important message. I think that you matter in every endeavor. You can never forget the humanity of the person that's in front of you. And even if you need just a statistical analysis, you can't forget that there are human beings on the other side. That's right. And one of the things that really struck me to tie it back to King is that at the end of his life, 13 years of work on the civil rights movement, 13 years, 300 years of trying to prove that African-Americans were not property, that they mattered. What did those signs say at the, at the last protest that King ever attended in Memphis when garbage workers were striking to be treated fairly, to be allowed to unionize. They carried signs that said, I am a man. Right. I think about what Jesse Jackson's tagline is, I I am somebody. Yeah. And that the fact that they, they, they should feel that they still have to say that, that they still need to remind people that they're human beings is so sad that we have not made progress, uh, that that should become obvious and unnecessary. That's a fascinating idea. And I can only start to think about what's going on in our own country right now, how Many people are very fearful of the census. People who are undocumented are very fearful of the census. And it's a necessary function of any government to see the number of citizens that are serving and all the things that we need to learn about services to other people. And yet, there's always kind of a negative edge to a census and how the information can be used and how people can be seen or might be seen. If I can be a little cynical about that, um, which is always, yeah, I, always I one of my roles. I can't role. imagine you cynical. I, I think that imagine. some people are afraid to be counted because we have created an atmosphere in this country that says we don't welcome the outsiders, that we're afraid that we who are enfranchised will lose power if we allow too many people in this country. And we are discouraging those people from being counted 
because we're worried that it will shift the balance of power and that the rich will not get richer. And it really infuriates me that we're afraid to count the people among us who might be perceived as outsiders for fear that we will somehow give up a little bit of our power. That's my rant for the day. Well, I think I can continue that rant by acknowledging that there are a lot of people who are very fearful that if an honest census was taken and we actually knew the exact numbers and the breakdown in our country, we would see that the eligible voters in this country are much more represented by people of color than anyone would have thought, which has serious implications for the election. And the reason that there is so much gerrymandering going on in the country. Absolutely. And I wonder, you know, what the, the Torah teaches us about this, because we humans have invented these categories. When we Maybe when we started taking the very first censuses, we decided, but I don't, I don't even think it's that old. I think this is fairly new. We decided that there should be categories of people sorted by race and that we should judge people according to these categories that we invented. Well, I think the Torah is very careful with the census, and it uses it for very particular reasons. It takes note of tribes. It takes note of the military. It takes note of the priesthood. All of those are necessary functions of society. But besides that, it's this overall idea of not seeing a person as a number, but seeing them as an individual. And it all surrounds the face. It's all about looking at the person's face, because if you want to see a person's humanity, look into their face. And I think that that's a that's a that's a very powerful idea. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Emmanuel Levinas, who was a great French philosopher, but he divided all of ethics into the face-to-face encounter, right? That when a person saw another person and acknowledged their humanity, that that was the beginning of an ethical conversation. That if I actually see you, then I feel some responsibility for you. And if I actually see you, then the command, thou shalt not kill, will be patently obvious because I would see that there is a person with inherent worth, or from the Jewish point of view, a person who is created in the image of God. But we don't see each other. And it's terrifying in a way that we are living in a mass society where everything has been inverted, where we don't literally don't see each other's faces when we go out. And the best chance of seeing people's faces is when we're inside. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that the government can scan our faces as we're walking down the street, but they can't put our faces on the census. Why why can't we put pictures on the census? Wouldn't that be a way of reminding people of our humanity that we're not just counting numbers, but we're taking pictures of people with their families in their homes? Uh, The technology certainly ought to be there. And it might be a way of further humanizing just as we went from counting the slaves without listing their names to at least listing their names, even if they were spelled incorrectly. Maybe there's hope that we can do better at this. I think that's a very powerful idea. You know, it's interesting that in the same portion, the priestly blessing is also offered, that threefold blessing. May God bless you and guard you. May God turn God's countenance towards you, be gracious to you. And may God lift up the divine face towards you, and may you feel the light of God's presence and no peace. Notice that Our relationship with God is seen metaphorically 
through the face. And in a way, this portion that begins with a census of human beings and seeing a person's face to count them, and the way the portion ends with the priestly blessing may be a reminder to us that you will be worthy of blessing from God. You will be able to know me when you are willing to know each other, where you're willing to see each other's face and acknowledge each other as a human being. Well, that's a beautiful idea. And that does give me hope that, uh, you know, there's no question we can do it, that we can look at each other and be more open to one another. And that can bring us closer to God. Well, I guess at the end of the day, when we are more normalized in our society after we have, after a cure for COVID-19 has been discovered, I wonder what lessons we'll learn. I do hope that one of them is the value of the human face and seeing a person's countenance and lifting up their head and not just seeing people as numbers. I sure hope so. I hear people saying that they can't wait. There's going to be face-touching parties when this is over. And um, I, I think that sounds okay. And I hope that we actually look at each other's eyes and feel that power of that connection again. I don't know about the face-touching, but I look forward to sitting <laughs> across from a table with you again, though. Thanks, Same Jonathan. Here. This Thank has been you. fun. Bye-bye.